Thank you for downloading the Aging Matters podcast. To find out more about how Transitions Life Care is providing care and comfort for life's changing needs, visit transitionslifecare.org. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Good Saturday evening to you. I am Jason Kong here with, as always, Nicole Cleggett, the star of the show, representing Transitions Life Care and Transitions Guiding Lights. Nicole, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing well, and I have some exciting news. Uh-oh, is this uh, some breaking news from the garden? Not from the garden, but from the property. We have three ducks. Three ducks? We have three ducks Have now. they been named? They have not been named, but I will tell you, we adopted these ducks from a, a lovely lady who was keeping them at her home. Her, her, her senior and high school son thought it would be a brilliant idea to bring some ducks home, but they live in a neighborhood, right? So they kept them for a few months, and they're pretty big already. Um, and, and then she asked me to adopt them, but they have never been in water, and they're scared of water. <laughs> and so I've been mommy duck. And we have a pond, and I have been having to put the ducks in the canoe to canoe them out to the middle of the pond, and then to put them in the water, and then they follow me back to where they live. They're, they're, <laughs> it's quite funny, but if I just drop them in the water, they scamper out and run right to me because they do not have any idea what to do with the water. When you go on the boat, are you in some sort of duck suit to get them <laughs> acclimated, or no? No, no but, okay. but but I have to like throw Cheerios out in the water to make them stay <laughs> out there and just give them lots of encouragement and praise and. <laughs> I I just thought that was sort of an innate behavior, but I guess it's not. I'm looking forward to future duck updates. And for names, I'm going to suggest Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Oh, that's so cute. Maybe we'll go with those. Yeah, we'll go, go the DuckTales route. All right, well, let's get down to business here, Nicole. This is Risk Management Month through the month of June, and we're going to have a timely discussion on risk management. And to do that, we brought in some of our own from Transitions Life Care. On the line, we have Beth Fair, who who is the Employee Health and Risk Management Coordinator, and also Nikki Martin, Vice President of Quality and Compliance, and also the Chief Compliance Officer. Beth and Nikki, thank you so much for joining us this evening. You're welcome. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Do you guys have any ducks at home? <laughs> any advice? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> They're very you know, cute. I have a yeah, I have a 180 pound Great Dane. Wow, I've always <laughs> so wanted one we, of those. Amazing. Do a duck. That's amazing. That's awesome. Wow, that's great. Well, I'm super excited to have you you all on the uh, show today and always very incredibly grateful and happy to have individuals from Transitions Life Care on here with us because um, obviously Transitions Life Care does some incredible work around end-of-life care services in our community and um, risk management. Uh, people might be sitting there listening, well, well, why do we care about that? What exactly is risk management? And we're not talking about like managing our stock portfolio portfolios or things like that, are we? Oh, no. Uh, no. And you could almost sum it up in one word at this point in time where we are as a nation and as a country and as a world, COVID-19. Mm. <laughs> That's why we should be thinking about this. Yeah. So so I guess what is sort of what is the role of risk management in an organization? Well, Nicole, risk management is a, is a continuous assessment of risk, not only risk to our patients, uh, but to providers, healthcare providers, 
um, and the public in general, we're constantly looking at, okay, are our employees, you know, immunized? Have they had their chickenpox vaccine? Because we don't want them going into a patient's home and exposing them to a virus that they may have never been exposed to before. So it's constantly keeping up um, with the employees and making sure that, you know, they have everything they need up to par. But also when we're going into patients' homes, educating them on things that they can do to lower their risks. Um, as Nikki mentioned earlier, COVID-19 is, you know, one of the things that we're focusing on now. So, you know, continuing to educate, you know, when they go out in public, what they can do to better protect themselves. So it's that constant assessment and evaluation. What are we doing? Is it working? Can it be done better? Um, so just, you know, keeping your finger on the pulse of what's happening and, and looking at numbers and and keeping track, basically. So it really sounds to me like in this era of the global pandemic of COVID-19, there's really been a, a new spotlight. I mean, people maybe don't realize it's the people who are doing risk management that are really working really hard to keep us safe. But it really sounds like it, it's the group of people like both of you that are really looking at the different things that are going on in our communities and in our environments and in our workplaces and in the homes that we go into, uh, things that we need to be considering to help keep us all safe and keep the vulnerable population safe as well. Yes, That's absolutely when, right. Mm-hmm. When COVID was first declared a pandemic, we actually got together a group, we call it the COVID command group, and we actually had a phone call for six days a week um, to, to keep up with what was going on in our community and listening to the, the CDC and you know North Carolina's Department of Health and seeing what new information they had for us and making sure that we were following their recommendations. Um, which we are now meeting three days a week um, and calling meetings as necessary as new information comes out to make sure that, you know, our nurses and aides and, and um, health, uh, home health employees that we're doing the best we can and that we're educating our families and patients with the latest information to help protect themselves as well. So when I'm working with the public through Transitions, Guiding Lights, or in other avenues that I'm involved in, I'm really starting to feel that generally the general public is really starting to be fatigued by a lot of these precautions and measurements that we have put into place to protect the vulnerable. And one such group that is really starting to get quite antsy and anxious are the groups of individuals that are housed in adult care homes, assisted livings, nursing homes that have been really quarantined inside of those buildings for several months now and with families not being able to get in. What are some things um, that people should continue to consider right now and, and to help them understand why these things are put into place? Because you are starting to see some advocacy groups out there that are really calling for the restrictions to be loosened and for families to be able to be in physical contact with their loved ones. So my thought is, I think the for me personally, and I don't know if this is how other people are feeling, but I think the social isolation part has been one of the most difficult pieces of, of COVID in our response to COVID. So I can completely understand how difficult that must be for a family member and then compound it with what if their loved one in this congregate setting is at the end of their life and not being able to spend time holding their hand, putting their arm around their shoulder, reminiscing about the good old days, how difficult that must be. So it's, 
a delicate balance even for us as healthcare practitioners. There's certain facilities that won't permit our staff in or they'll permit our staff in, but they have to gear up with their personal protective equipment. And our staff currently is wearing gloves, a surgical mask, and an eye shield or goggles to protect their eyes at every single visit they do. Um, And these are for people who are not suspected to have COVID. And then we also have more layers of protection if we are dealing with a COVID patient. But it's difficult even for healthcare practitioners to get into those congregate living settings. It's getting um, better. It's loosening up a little bit. But now we're even having different facilities um, mandate that our staff show proof that they are COVID negative before they come into the building, which I can very much appreciate that they're doing everything they can. Maybe they've already had a wave of COVID through their building and now everyone's recovered and they're trying very hard to keep COVID out of the building. So I think if family members can remember the why, why are they doing this? Because number one, the people that live in these settings are fragile and vulnerable to begin with. And that because of their age and their comorbidities and other medical and health conditions they have, that is going to put them at higher risk for having more complicated COVID course per se. So I think that's if we can just remember the why behind what the facility is doing or what their visitation is, that helps somewhat. But then we also have to think outside the box and all the technology that's available to help people not be so socially isolated, whether it's, you know, using iPhones so that you can FaceTime or visiting from outside the building, maybe outside a window or things of that nature, Skyping in or FaceTiming, you know, all those different technologies, Zoom meetings. I mean, this is a great time to get a Zoom license. And for folks like myself who aren't that tech savvy, I'm becoming more tech savvy. That's kind of one of the lessons learned from the COVID pandemic is that there's a lot of resources available to us as healthcare practitioners and administrators that have always been there, but we just were leery to use it. Now we're all having to jump in with both feet and learning how to use those technologies. We have Beth Fair and Nikki Martin on the line with us. We need to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation all about healthcare risk management right after this. Stick around. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Nicole Cleggett from Transitions Guiding Lights. Here's your host, Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett, our guest this evening, our friends from Transitions Life Care. We always love having our Transitions brethren here on the show. We've got Beth Fair. She is the Employee Health and Risk Management Coordinator for Transitions Life Care, as well as Nikki Martin, who is the Vice President of Quality and Compliance and the Chief Compliance Officer. We are talking all about 
healthcare risk management and how this is uh, even more important right now as we are going through the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, towing the line between healthcare risk management and uh, making sure that we're staying healthy in light of social social isolation, which uh, can have some damaging effects. But um, Nicole, I wanted to pick back up on this conversation, particularly with you, Beth. And, you know, it's it's got to be very challenging in your world to be constantly dealing with the pandemic and COVID-19 and uh, making sure that everyone is able to assess their own risk. And uh, I know during the break, you were mentioning that there's uh, some tools that folks can access if they want to make sure that they're prepared. Yes, sir. Um, Jason, when uh, we were talking, um, Nikki mentioned the CDC, which is the Centers for Disease Control. They have a website, um, and you can just Google them, and they'll pop up. And there's a coronavirus self-checker that you can um, check that box to get into, and it asks you a series of questions, and you just answer them honestly, and it will tell you where you are um, if you need to contact your primary care physician um, or if it looks like you're, you're pretty good in your state of health. It just walks you through that and kind of gives you a baseline. So if you are you know, feeling good today, but tomorrow you're running fever and you started this dry cough and you're just not sure where it came from, you can get into this, um, get onto the CDC website and walk through that tracker and kind of see, okay, well, these certain items have flagged. I might need to call my, my primary care physician and get checked. Um, and speaking of that, some of the big things we look for are fever, shortness of breath, um, a cough, you might have fatigue, um, muscle, body aches, and a really odd one that stands out is loss of taste or smell. Um, I had a friend um, tell me, um, I go to church with them, and they uh, ended up being positive with COVID a couple of weeks ago. And they went on Facebook and was talking about their experience. And the first symptom they had was they couldn't taste their salsa. He told his wife, the salsa is really bland. It needs salt or something. And she said, no, it's fine. So loss of taste or smell actually is one of those things you wouldn't think about, but it is um, a symptom. Um, and as uh, we've all been kind of paying attention and trying to keep the information fresh, uh, Dr. Cohen, who is our North Carolina DHHS secretary, has the three W's. And that's something really easy we can all remember. The three W's is wear a mask, wait six feet apart. That's your social distancing. And the third W is wash your hands frequently. And I would add to that wash high touch surfaces. What's a high touch surface? A doorknob, a sink faucet. Your um, cell phone. In your home, it's the same <laughs> items. Yeah. Definitely cell phones. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're huge culprits. Oh, yes. Yes, ma'am. I didn't hear you. you. 100%. Yeah, we don't think about those daily items, but going to the gas station and pumping gas, how many little mm-hmm. fingers have been on that gas nozzle? So keep some hand sanitizer in your vehicle so that you can um, wash your hands or use that hand sanitizer. That's going to get you get you through if you can't get to soap and water. Um, hand sanitizer is a great, great way to get your hands clean be- between sink visits. Um, so, Nikki, I know that you must be thinking about the future here. And, you know, in the not too distant future, we're also going to be facing the start of the 2020 2021 flu season. I can well imagine things are going to get a little squirrely when people are coming down with 
flu symptoms and we're not sure is it flu or is it COVID and in my heart of hearts I just wish this whole COVID thing will disappear by then but I really don't think that's going to happen you're seeing things like the Academy Awards for 2021 being postponed we're seeing the Bluegrass Festival being canceled we're seeing things that are much further down the road that are going away Mm -hmm. uh, which leads me to believe I don't think anybody has a sense that this is going away anytime soon what what are some things that you all are doing to sort of prepare for that Uh, we're gearing up on getting employees um, trained on how to conduct COVID-19 testing on employees um, because we're probably going to be have to we're, we're for sure going to have to be testing our own employees who go into facilities that are mandating or requiring that they uh, can prove that they're COVID negative so I think we're just looking at what is this um, strategically how is this going to play out and what steps are coming next and I think you're going to see more testing of staff. I think that's just going to be the natural progression of this. But I'm glad you brought up about flu season, Nicole, because when COVID first started, we were right in the midst of the flu season starting. So any testing for COVID really was an afterthought in the beginning of the pandemic. It was first you had to get a flu test first, Mm -hmm. strep test next, or, or in a combination and then they would test you for COVID. Whereas right now, if you had any of those symptoms that could be flu or COVID, they're testing you for COVID first now, it seems. And I think we're gonna have the same thing. And I think that's a a big issue with this is that a lot of the COVID symptoms mimic flu or a lot of them mimic just typical allergies this time of year. So what we're instructing our employees especially is if you have a new cough, like maybe you already always get a cough every flu season or you get that stuffy nose or runny nose every flu season, is it any different than what you normally experience? Um, So I think that's the tricky part. You know, when you think about, you know, the different symptoms, you know, fever or chills, well, those aren't really consistent with, you know, seasonal allergies, but it is consistent with flu and covid and a cough, well, that could be pretty much anything. Shortness of breath or difficulty breathing, well, if someone has emphysema to start with, they're short of breath or all asthma. the time. Yeah. So is it yeah. any, or asthma, any, mm-hmm. any um, chronic respiratory condition, fatigue, the muscle or body aches, you know, did you work out over the weekend? Is that what that's from or is that perhaps COVID? And headaches, uh, we've heard a lot of people talk about the worst headache they've ever had. But then the sore throat, congestion or runny nose, nausea, vomiting, and even diarrhea, these are all um, the cluster. And this might not be all of the COVID symptoms, but a lot of them are just pretty generic or, you know, it could be a lot of different things. So it's trying to decipher. And during a pandemic, I think you probably would want to err on the side of maybe it is COVID, maybe I need to get tested, or maybe I just need to not go anywhere for 14 days. Maybe it's time for me just to rest at home, stay at home, eat eat right, get a lot of rest, drink plenty of water. You know, maybe that's the angle you should take. I mean, get a your lot flu of people shot. aren't even getting tested. Get your flu shot. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And before you know it, it's going to be in get your COVID shot. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's going to be the new norm is we are ramping up and already developing policies for um, the requirement for our staff. We are a mandatory flu um, vaccine. All of our employees have to be vaccinated against the flu. 
to work here unless they have a medical or religious exemption for for getting the vaccine, but it will be the same with COVID. So that's part of also the ramping up and getting ready for the future. We don't know when a vaccine will be available, but when it is, that's probably going to be added to the what is required of you to be employed here at Transitions because we're looking out for the health of the people that we care for. Again, um, you know, we have people who are just seeing us for palliative care and then people who are maybe getting home health services. Maybe they had a recent hip fracture or something like that. They are of these are all vulnerable populations that can't really afford anything worse than what they already have. So I think we all have to do our best to make sure that we're protecting our patients and then the, the health of the public in general. And I think those listening this evening, you know, they may hear this and it just may make your, your heart weary just to hear what's what's in the future and, and where we're, we're going as as a country in dealing with this pandemic. Uh, but the, part, the big piece that I think is important for everybody to really hold on to is that if we really take those three W's to heart and we really practice those. It has been evidenced in other countries and in other states. I know that our state, you know, the numbers are are going up. We're part of the sort of the Sunbelt area where we're not doing such a great job in containing the virus. Um, if, if, we, if we start really becoming more serious about that, then we all, I mean, it's just common knowledge that then things will be able to be released sooner and we can get back to some semblance of what feels like normal. But if we don't and we keep fighting it, um, you know, we're going to be sort of stuck where we're at for a long time and more and more vulnerable people will continue to fall ill from this virus. Yes, you know, there's a tremendous recovery rate for this, but those folks that are living in these communal settings, those folks that have chronic conditions and have life-limiting illnesses, you know, this virus for a lot of those people is is very, very traumatic and life-threatening. Mm-hmm. Beth, do you want to talk a little bit about the whole mask situation and why you should be wearing a mask? Sure. Um, Nikki and I were talking earlier today about masks because we wear masks here um, in the office when we come in. Um, if we have to come in, we try to work from home, but we'll wear our masks. But we not only wear a mask to um, protect ourselves from others, but we also wear the mask to protect others from ourselves because we have found that there are people with COVID who are asymptomatic. They don't have fever. They don't have cough. They they don't realize they have it, but they are carrying that virus and they can spread it to others. So if I have my mask on and I have this virus and don't realize it, this mask is going to keep me from spreading it to someone else who's unsuspecting. So it not only protects others um you from others it protects others from you as well it's it's a two-way street um if you will when you have your mask on it's an easy way to do your part to keep yourself and to keep others safe as well we've been speaking with beth fair she is the employee health and risk management coordinator for transitions life care and nikki martin vice president of quality and compliance as well as the chief compliance officer for transitions life care we're running out of time beth and nikki thank you both so much for coming on the show this evening we really appreciate all that you've done and uh, all for sharing this information with us as well yes sir thank, thank you. you jason thank you nicole You're welcome. A quick break and back with more. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. 
This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You are listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. We've got a wonderful guest here on the line. We've got Madeline Ashley with us. She is the owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina. And we're going to be talking about the role of the care manager and the importance of creating an aging plan. And that's that's a little bit of a challenge right now. Madeline, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Well, thank you for having me. I am looking forward to talking with you all. You know, Madeline is an amazing, amazing nurse, and, um, and probably you probably like to think of yourself as a nurse first, and most nurses I know like to think about that versus a business owner. And I've had the privilege of working with her, gosh, I think about ten, with 10 years now in various different collaborative groups and different committees and settings, and personally ha- referred clients over to her. And I know that she has just got the biggest heart in the world. So I can only imagine, you know, what this time has been like for you, Madeline. In, in caring for individuals out in the community and trying to be that bridge between that client and their family during a time when we have to remain distant. It's, it's been a real challenge um, not being able to, to physically be with clients. Uh, I have one client that is on hospice and not to be able to physically be present with him and continue the conversations I had with him. He's not a good telephone conversationalist. Yeah. Um, and to help him as he gets ready, um, as we he and I discussed, gets ready to meet his wife. You know, I am. Um, that's hard. Yeah. I, I, I run an online group for family caregivers, and um, there's probably almost 1,200 families that are part of that here in the Triangle right now. And, you know, one of the families, I was just checking in with folks and, you know, just seeing how people were doing. And one of the family members has a loved one in a long-term care community. And for lots of good reasons, they are basically turned into islands unto themselves to protect the vulnerable residents there. Um, But he said, you know, basically he's been living the worst day of his life since the day they shut the doors of the building because he can't see his mom. And so, you know, I think this is, this has been a, it's not the first time buildings have closed down. I mean, there's lots of different times that, you know, you might have a stomach bug running through or a high incidence of a flu or something of that nature and buildings shut down for a period of a week or two. But this has been a very, very long time for a lot of families to be separated from their loved ones. Yeah, I had a a geriatrician. I've uh, had a couple of clients that have had uh, acute non-virus related issues that really needed face-to-face visits. And I had one geriatrician ask me about uh, another client we mutually worked with and uh, asked me, well, is that client on the first floor so I could go and peek peek outside the window Mm -hmm. and communicate? And unfortunately, no, they're not. Um, So that's, that's really, this is really hard on families. Um, but I do recommend if the client is on the first floor and if they'll let you in on the ground to, to go up to the window and, and try to talk with them. You know, I, um, yeah, I heard a really interesting story of um, a person who uh, was living in a family care home and they needed to have um, – uh, there was a potential they were going to have to be sent to the hospital for just basically hydration. and But then if they went to the hospital, they weren't going to be able to go back to the family care home because of the 
potential exposure to the virus. And so you had a home health infusion organization get very, very creative. And because the, 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 the building didn't want to let the infusion people in and, you know, the family didn't want the loved one to go to the hospital. And so they actually ended up, speaking of the first floor, being able to provide the infusion through the first floor window. Oh my God! Pretty yeah. creative. I mean, I mean, yeah. with, with, and and kudos to the nurse because I I honestly believe it's the nurse that, that we nurses are able to think outside the box mm-hmm. and to be able to come up with these creative solutions. I've done it for years. Um, I've been a nurse longer than I'd like to say on the air, <laughs> and, and I've 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 had to be creative, uh, particularly when working with someone with dementia. Um, but in any case, you've got to, you, and right now we've got to think out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we definitely I mean, I, do. I know that when I talked to Darcy, she asked me to take notes and be ready. And so, um, uh, of course, my printer's going down, so to take notes and print it out, I couldn't do. And, um, so I realized I could open up my trifold that I, I do for the various uh, conferences, caregiver uh, summits. And sitting right in front of me is, you know, my name and right under that in bold is, are you ready if the unexpected happens? Mm. Um, and I, I, I looked at that this morning and I went, I can't believe that I'm sitting here looking at that because this is what we're dealing with now. It and truly is. My trifold is totally not prepared for this pandemic. <laughs> so c- tell me a little bit about kind of how some of the conversations when you're talking to, you know, families that are kind of reaching out to you now. How have the conversations sort of shifted, you know, during the COVID pandemic versus kind of the types of things that you were hearing before? I, I find my family very interesting and very fascinating. Um, and some of them are even out of the country. So uh, when my last client uh, that I was not able to get to, um, the family just said, thank you. You've done all you can do to this point, And we appreciate all the care you've given now. Now, I am in attempting communication with the community to try to be able to, to monitor uh, some medical conditions uh, and to FaceTime with, with the client. I am worried because she has dementia. If I FaceTime with her, it's going to create agitation all the way around mm-hmm. because I'm not there. So I'm, I'm hesitant to do that. But at the same time, I need to be able to, to, to at least let her see me to know I'm still existing and keep me fresh in her memory. Um, the client that is on hospice, um, the conversations are not virus related um, and are not grounded in the reality of where their loved one is going. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I find a lot of my conversations right now are fairly normal. The clients, some of the clients I can't get to, the families are, are just frustrated and sharing their frustrations with me because they're out of state and and even under normal conditions have difficulty getting here. So they're frustrated that I am not able to to maintain the level of support and advocacy that I normally do. And, you know, they just keep asking, can't you do it? And I keep saying, I'm trying. Um, So I'm trying to support them, the families, in, in ways that I never imagined I'd have to do. So after we get back from the break, I would love to talk a little bit about what you might imagine 
the aging plan to be after we kind of come out of this veil of the COVID-19 pandemic and, and, you know, whether or not you see conversations shifting or things kind of going back to the way they were and really what the important parts of an aging plan need to be uh, when we're thinking about the future of an aging loved one. We're talking with Madeline Ashley. She is the owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina, and we'll continue this conversation Right after these messages, you're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Nicole Cleggett and Jason Kong. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It is your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Nicole Cleggett. Our guest on the line is Madeline Ashley. She is owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina. And Nicole, we're talking all about what it means to create an aging plan. And uh, right now, that seems like a bit of a challenge. Yeah, it, it sure does. And, you know, even at Transitions Guiding Lights, it's um, the conversations, you know, people are feeling like they need to make decisions about the future of their loved one's care. But everything, you know, everything's already confusing it as it is. When you're when you're facing, you know, wow, mom isn't the person that she was before. She's more frail. She's needing some supervision. You know, all those things are already very emotionally intense. And then you're sort of sitting here in the middle of a, a pandemic, which, gosh, none of us in any of our generations have experienced. And then you're trying to figure out, well, then what do I do? Because what is this all going to look like in a, in a few months? And so, um, you know, we're finding that, at least at Transitions Guiding Lights, that a lot of the families are wanting to start to have a conversation, but they're hesitant to really take the next steps because they're just scared about, you know, what things are going to look like. And they're frankly frightened about the possibility of, you know, another surge happening and then potentially if they place a loved one not being able to see them after they had to make the difficult decision to do a placement. What are you finding, Madeline? I'm finding exactly that challenge. The other piece that I'm also finding is um, one of one of the assisted living communities um, emailed me. I have a client that is going to be very, very challenging to place because of multiple other non-medical issues she has sure and um the the community said that you know if she's ready now which fortunately she should be placed but it's just not ready they would on the uh once she got there she would have to be quarantined in her room for two weeks yeah and that adds to the frustration of the family needing to wanting to or needing to place someone to think about the fact that not only could they not see them mom dad or um, the aunt or uncle um, would have to be stuck in their room with after they've moved to make the move even less, even more traumatic. Um, so yeah. it, this is challenging. And my my recommendations to the families, if there is any way possible to, to increase the support within the home mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. while we're waiting for uh, the pandemic to for us to move on through the, this stage of the pandemic and, and 
um, not lose the room or the apartment or the community they're looking at to continue communication, but to find additional support for the family and for their loved one um, during this time. Um, I know it's scary to bring someone from the outside in right now, um, but we've also got to be sure that everybody's safe and that the family caregiver is not totally exhausted. Yeah, so there's, and, a, there's, um, there, there's a huge cost. One of the costs that I think we're going to find out of this, especially with the vulnerable populations that this virus is definitely kind of going after, is the cost of inaction. So it's sort of letting things sit and fester. People are afraid to go to the doctor. People are maybe letting their loved ones sit at home a little longer. And so, you know, there, there's potentially a cost that people who could have lived in a less restrictive level of care may end up having that terrible fall that results in a broken hip or you know have, exactly. you know wandering away and dying of dehydration in the in the heat or you know not getting that you know chronic condition taken care of so that they end up hospitalized with something that had they gone to the doctor could have been nipped in the bud a lot earlier so I think, you know, part of our jobs as healthcare workers is really trying to help people navigate that and deal with the yeah. anxiety and stress anxiety and stress and help them understand the repercussions of inaction now on the preventative side could potentially create a bigger crisis down the road when the pandemic is is over. Yes, I got a call from a clinic in in the um, on the you know western side of the triangle where I my primary area is, um, and canceling several you know at the beginning of all this, canceling an appointment of a 95 year old who has dementia and other chronic health conditions, and at the time they wouldn't remake the appointment. Mm -hmm. And when they called me, they said they couldn't reach him, and I said well, you're not supposed to be calling him anyway. Uh, and my worry is if they're not at least rescheduling appointments for for older people that don't have an advocate or a care manager these appointments they'll get lost, what we call lost to follow up but the appointment will never get made again right um and yesterday uh, um actually today's wednesday monday night um as i about 9 30 i was catching up on emails uh for the evening and i had an email from a friend, and, um, and I use the word friend with a big F, F as I'm a Quaker, um, and she's, um, you know, in her late 60s, early 70s, and she had fallen earlier in the day after having a dizzy spell. Um, and so yesterday when I went over there, uh, she'd finally gotten a call back from the doctor, which she didn't make on, on uh, to, to, uh, Monday when she had this episode, uh, and it turns out uh, she's doing really well, and, and I don't think she's going to have any significant residual. But when she went to the um, emergency room, she's had two small strokes. Hmm. Now, you know and I know that stroke is a, um, a, is a brain attack, like a heart attack. Mm -hmm. And you need to, with the onset of even uncertain stroke-like symptoms, get to the emergency room within four hours for care because there are medications that can be given um, to that they call clot busters to break up the stroke if it's significant, if it's, if it's a non-hemorrhagic stroke. So, yes, this pandemic is really impacting um, uh, our people that need this ongoing 
um, support and monitoring. Well, and, and truly, and the fear of going in. And truly, just even you know, people like you and I, you know, I had a, an annual uh, GYN appointment that was supposed to be on Monday, which they canceled two weeks ago, and has not been rescheduled. But even things like that, where when they do exams and you know checks, they can find hidden cancers and things like that. And and so you know, there's going to yeah. be a period of months where lots of people have underlying things going on they don't even know about, but because preventative appointments have been have been postponed, you know, there, there's there there are going to be some costs that come out of this once all of the the scary side of just the virus goes away. And so, I definitely think for those listening, you know, if you're out there and you have a loved one and you're probably spending more time with them if you live locally and you're near them and you're really seeing some of the deficits that exist, it is really the right time to start at least having a conversation, a conversation with somebody like Madeline Ashley with Senior Transitions about what the next steps could be. And just because you have a conversation doesn't mean you have to do it. But it's very, very healthy just to talk and to talk about what's going on. Potentially, you know, even if you don't want to bring in an outside home care agency right now because you're worried about potentially bringing in the virus to your loved one's home. It doesn't stop you from calling them and just getting on their radar and, and, you know, just talking about what to expect or making phone calls to these long-term care communities to help understand what to expect. Um, I think those are all very, very appropriate things. And, you know, we're just coming off the heels of Advanced Care Decisions Day, where people need to be, you know, thinking about advanced directives and getting healthcare powers of attorney and financial powers of attorney and living wills. And, you know, if your loved one doesn't have those things, and you're starting to see some things slip, you know, now's the time to reach out to an elder care attorney and start the conversation. And then that way, once, you know, the wall comes down, and we can all kind of go about our business as we used to, or at least somewhat close to the way we used to do it, uh, you, you'll have a plan and you can deploy your plan and, and be on the top of folks lists and really be one of the people that are, are ready to take action um, for your loved one and be their advocate. Absolutely, Nicole. I mean, the elder law attorneys, um, I'm sure all over the country, but I, the ones I know in, in, in the triangle are all working hard to do distance, you know, over the phone mm-hmm. or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever um, the family can pull together. Um, and and do this, you know, over the phone so you don't have to come in the office. Right. If there is an issue that you have to come in the office for, they are making sure that, you know, you're the only one there at that time yeah. with the attorney. And, and totally um, protected. Or- yeah, everyone is yeah, making these changes and adapting, and um, yeah, it's it's good to see because it, it fosters a lot of confidence in people because everyone is a little bit nervous and wants to know that they're safe as well. I want to thank Madeline Ashley, owner and care manager of Senior Transitions of North Carolina, for joining us this evening. Madeline is seniortransitionsnc.com, the best place for folks to find more information. Absolutely, um, I it will get to me. Excellent. Again, SeniorTransitionsNC.com. On behalf of Nicole Cleggett, I'm Jason Kong, thanking you for listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a wonderful night. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.